Well, as I mentioned uh, a minute ago, we are finishing up our series today called Jesus in 3D. And uh, I, I don't know about you, I remember that, do you remember the first 3D movie that you went to? Anybody remember? Like I, mine was Jaws 3 in 3D. Like and it was, you know, you had to wear, they, they, don't, they didn't have the cool black glasses like they do now. These were one red on one side, one blue on the other side. Everybody sat in there. It's like the picture there. And, you know, I don't even know what the movie was about. It was, I think it was a horrible movie, but they thought, you know what? We can have a shark jumping at the audience the entire movie, scaring them the entire time. And I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that's the shark's coming to get me all this kind of crazy feeling as a kid of this 3D. It's alive. It was a whole new experience uh, that I remember when I watched that. And I'm hopeful that this teaching series is maybe helping us do the same thing with our view and understanding of Jesus, is that we're seeing him in a whole new light, a whole new perspective, or in a way maybe we never have before. Uh, We talked about how so often we talk about Jesus as in the manger, as a baby, as the the Messiah coming, or as the the Messiah on the cross, uh, the one who died for our sins, and, and those, and those are beautiful representations and important aspects of who Jesus is. But these other three that we've been looking at that he has demonstrated in his life, a prophet, priest, and now king, help us to understand this depth of who Jesus is. And, and Jared, at the very first week, talked about it kind of as a gem that you can look at it from different ways and see different things. And I hope that as we finish this series, you'll be able to go back and say, you know what, let me let me ponder this week more on what Jesus was as a priest or a prophet or, or as king in my life. And so we're going to jump in today to this idea of king. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a king, it usually right now in my life is not a, it's not a positive thing. I often think of, you know, like power, somebody that wears this crown or, you know, a throne. Everybody's fighting for the throne. You know, you remember Game of Thrones when it was on. It was like this fight to see who can get, you know, and sit on that throne and have this power. I also think about King sometimes as somebody who has ultimate authority, right? They're not just like the the judge, but they're like the lawyer, the judge, and the jury all together. They they argue, they pronounce judgments, and they and they put those judgments, whether it's execution or positive things, out there. It's somebody with almost complete authority. But also when I think about kings, especially in history, you often many times think about corruption, right? When somebody has ultimate power, this ultimate ability to do whatever they want, they make laws that are made for everybody else except for them. The rules don't apply to them and they rule out of fear that if you don't do this, I get to do this to you. And then I also thought about with a king, a lot of pomp and circumstance, Right, you think about we have a it's a not a king but a queen in England right now who really carries very little power. The whole royal family they have no real power, but they sure look like they have a lot of power. You know, with their pomp and circumstance and the and the the, the tradition of it. And so sometimes when I even think of king, it's it's not really somebody with much power at all. And so the truth is, king really in my mind, and maybe in your mind and culture, doesn't carry a lot of positive connotations. So when we talk about Jesus as king, you know, we may think, well, just Jesus, 
the guy who's gonna have to tell me what to do or I have to walk around like this and do these certain things to please King Jesus so that King Jesus doesn't kick me out of his kingdom and we can have a different view of it. And so as, as we talk about Jesus as king, I wanna start by looking at Israel's history with kings. Israel hasn't really seen, in, our, in the history of Israel, when we, when we catch up with them before they ever had a king, Israel really had not seen a lot of good come from kings, right? They, they as a country, as a people, they had been su suppressed by kings. They had been fought and killed by kings and kingdoms. Uh, whether it was a Pharaoh of Egypt or a king of the Amorites or a, a Malachites or all these other countries, the king and it said his people would come out and face the Israelites. So they, what they had seen as king are, are people who were destructive toward them. And God had set them up as a nation, not to be defined but by their ruler, by their king, but instead by their God and his relationship to his people. It was a different kind of nation. This is what one of the unique things was about Israel was they did, he did not say, I'm gonna make you a great nation. And Abraham was the, the father of Israel. And he didn't say to Abraham, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna make you king of these people. He never said that. He didn't say that to go all the way back to Moses or anybody. It's, he never said that to anybody, I'm going to make you king. And so Jesus, God did not set up Israel again, to be defined by their ruler, by their king, but instead by their God and the relationship that the people have directly with God. But yet in the midst of all this, Israel, who at that time and, and us as people till today, often don't listen to God and we want what we want. And this is what they said. They, they came to Samuel, a prophet, and they said, we want a king. And this is what we find in 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 through 7. It said, Then the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. That's pretty offensive to say already, right there. <laughs> You're old, and we don't like your sons. Now appoint for us a king to judge us all the nations. But the thing, this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So again, Israel at this point, they came and said, We want a man to rule over us. And God said to Samuel, Don't worry. They, what they're rejecting is not you, but it is me. It is this relationship, this uniqueness that they are rejecting. And I love in the next few verses here, Samuel, God, in, God tells Samuel to tell them this. All right, if you want a king, here's what's going to happen. He basically goes through this list. He said, guess what? He's going to take your sons to war. He's going to take your daughters and put them to work as cooks and bakers in his palace. He's going to take the best of your fields and vineyards, and then he's going to make you work those fields and vineyards for his own behalf. He's going to make you plow and tend to them. Then he's going to tax you and take a tenth of everything that you have. Now, I don't know about you, but like if God would have given me this chance, like, let me tell you, you want a king? Here's what a king's going to be. Are you sure this is what you want? Then I would have said, okay, sorry, screwed up. Let me have you back as, as king. But instead, the Israelite people didn't just ask for it. Instead, they begged for a king. 
even more so. In verse 19 and 22, it says, and then they said, but there shall be a king over us. Please, there shall be, that we also may be like the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all these words of the people, he repeated them in their ears to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Do you catch what they did there and what we so often do when we think about a king other than the Lord, other than Christ in our life? He said, they said, make us not like a unique nation, a unique people, make us like everybody else. Make us just like everybody else. No difference, nothing unique. And this goes completely in the face of what God had called them to be as a nation is a nation representing this beautiful relationship between God the creator and his people and what that relationship can mean for the entire world. And I don't know about you, but as we get deeper into this, I often find myself thinking of how many other things I make king in my life because I think that king seems to be working better for this person or this person or this person and I could just be like that person. Give me their king, give me a king like that and my life will be better. Instead of walking through the challenges or the beautiful moments of my life and highlighting this amazing relationship that we have with God, our King, our Creator. So God gives them a king. It doesn't go well. Saul is the first king. It's a horrible experiment. David comes around, brings some beauty. Solomon, pretty good. And then it's like a heartbeat from there. It's like up, down, up, down, up, down. You read the, the book of First and Second Kings and it's like, this guy was bad, this guy was good, this guy was pretty bad, this guy was okay, this guy was really, really bad. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. And instead of stories of how God and his people were growing together, we have this king that is separating the people from God in their lives. And so what was the role of a king, even when they set it up? And the role of a king in that time was, was two things. The king was one who secured provision for the kingdom, right? Bought, brought stuff in made sure they had enough food, shelter, clothing. And he brought protection for his subjects, right? He would defend the nation or he would go and try to dominate, to, to invade and to take over other lands. So these two things, provision and protection, right? Basic tangible needs and expressions of power are what a king's job were. That's ultimately why he was king provision and protection. And what we're going to see is Jesus steps into this role of king in our life, and he starts to establish this authority. We see that he is not just one who secures provision and protection, that he ultimately becomes like he is the ultimate and final prophet. He is the highest of priests. Jesus, what we see here, Jesus is the provision for all the world. He is the provision, and he has supplied protection for all threats and uncertainties, not just external, but internal as well. And what we're going to do today is look at two stories about how Jesus and him becoming king play out in the Gospels. And one of these stories is when people tried to make him king, to actually take him, and they, they wanted to make him king of Israel and to, to use his kingship to overthrow Rome and to expand the nation of Israel again. And then there's another story we're gonna look at where people were fearful of him becoming king. 
and, and what, how that impacted their view of Jesus and how he had to deal with that. And we're going to see how both, how he demonstrated his provision and protection in such a way that it helped establish who he was and what a right, true king should be in our life. So let's first talk about Jesus's provision. And this is a story of people wanting to make Jesus king. John chapter six is where we're going to be. And this is a, a story of a uh, we we probably all heard it at least some point in our life. It is it is Jesus feeding the five thousand is where we pick this story up, right? And it's a story of, of Jesus providing, providing like they had been following him, they heard his teaching, and he is providing for him them. And he he feeds five thousand. There's leftovers to feed them again, and they're like, "Who are you? Are you like the prophet? Like they got the one we talked about a couple of weeks. Like you must be the prophet, right?" And then they were like. No, maybe he is like the king. Maybe he's the one that, because he keeps providing for us. He has, his provision is more than we need. And because Jesus did that, right? Everywhere Jesus went, he made resources flow. Things, things showed up. And so Jesus had fed these people. And then in John 14, or John 6, 14 and 15, we see their response. It says, when the people saw this sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. <laughs> Get the picture. He had fed, the, the Bible even says like 5,000 men. So let's just add a wife and a child to each of those and say 15,000 people, like minimum, right? This crowd, this huge gathering of people were ready to go grab Jesus and basically carry him on their shoulders down to Jerusalem and set him on the throne. They're like, you, we want you as our king. We want you. And Jesus does something here that I don't think many men or women would do in our culture today. He steps away from that. He's like, this is not it. And why? Because here's what I think he was trying to help them understand is what they really wanted from him was more bread. They wanted them to give us more bread tomorrow. Like we, we want more. If you can do this, give us more earthly provision. But Jesus knew he was different. And what happened is he, he goes away. We see in the story as he goes away, his disciples find him. They, they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and the the people wake up and Jesus isn't there anymore and they see his boat on the other side and so they make their way over there and Jesus, they're basically following Jesus like, feed me, feed me, feed me. They're like, give us more food. They, they wanted that provision and Jesus starts to teach them about why he ran away from this and what is different about his kind of provision. And I want you to see a few things about Jesus' provision. First thing is, is that he tells his true provision is sustainable. It is sustainable. We talk a lot about sustainability in our world today, right? Whether it's energy or how food is produced uh, to make sure we're, we're not taking more than we're giving. And we talk about this. And this is, Jesus was the original sustainable farmer, right? A sustainable provider of things. Because when Jesus saw that they were still following him, here's how he answered them in verse 26. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not just because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You want more food, basically. You, know, you, you want me to provide more. Do not work, Jesus teaches here, do not work for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. He's talking about himself. What, what Jesus is setting up here, Jesus was not about, in this moment, creating subjects, right? He was. He could have easily said, I'll be your king, you serve me, I'll keep giving you bread, and you keep doing things for me. But Jesus was not about creating subjects, but leading them that was to something that was different, something that lasted in their lives. Jesus was not just wanting to keep them hungry enough to come back for more and to let them content to be filled for a moment and then need him again tomorrow. I was volunteering this week. Robert and I went down to an organization called City Relief, which uh, I think there's five or or seven different locations around the city uh, that they distribute food on a weekly basis. And it's almost like Jesus showing up. It's people that are in desperate need can show up and get a hot cup of coffee, a hot thing of soup and some bread and blanket and socks and then go away. But what I love about this organization is their goal is not to create as many people as they can to come get free food. While they're there, their number one thing is to connect them with services that will then allow them to become sustainable themselves, to to then move out of poverty into the ability to provide through resources and everything. So it's not about keeping people dependent on them as an organization. Their number one goal is that they would serve somebody and never see them again in a good way, that that person had stepped in and gotten the resources they need to get back on their feet. And it reminded me of this story and how different this is from many of our earthly leaders, right? Many of our earthly leaders and rulers want to keep you needing them, to keep us needing them. So they give us just enough to then keep us coming back the next day. And this is Jesus saying, my provision, what I actually have for you is something that will never perish. It's eternal. It's something that lasts up. This bread that you can touch and taste right now is nothing compared to the true bread of life, the true sustainability of peace and hope beyond measure in your life. So when Jesus is our king, his provision is sustainable. His cupboard never runs dry. His mercies are made new every day. His grace is inexhaustible in our lives. His love is immeasurable in our lives. But the, the second thing that we see about Jesus and his provision is, is found in verses 32 and 34, is that it's not just sustainable, it's supernatural. It comes from God. And he even says, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, talking about when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So, which is kind of what Jesus does here is kind of crazy because he basically attacks one of the, the key figures of the Old Testament, right? This Israeli history of like, they basically worship Moses because of what Moses did in the Exodus of leading the people out. And he said, don't forget that it wasn't Moses who made the bread come down from heaven. It was God. And now God is sending you a new bread, a bread of a everlasting covenant, a bread that comes from heaven to give life to the entire world. And they are, again, not quite getting this because they're like, give us this bread. They, they think they're getting magic bread at this point. 
They don't understand that what Jesus is saying, Jesus is slowly taking them on a journey, talking about the Son of Man, and now the, the Son of God, the bread of God's coming down, and they're saying, give us this. And the truth is what Jesus says here, you've been looking in the wrong place for provision. You've been looking in the things of God and even the people of God, but not actually to God for provision. And this again is so different than many of our earthly rulers. They wanna keep you impressed by them. Look at what I've done for you. Look at what I've accomplished. Instead of pointing to the true source of the accomplishment, which is God. And then finally, what we see about his provision is that it's sacrificial in nature. And Jesus is taking them on this journey again of saying that this bread will perish. You want more bread that comes from heaven. And he says, how do you get that? And he says, not only am I the son of man, the bread of life, but then he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that, that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And that the father gives me all gives me will to come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. What Jesus was saying here is he was greater than Moses, greater than King David, greater than anything in the past. He is this new bread of life that has come down from the Father for us. And this bread chose to live a sacrificial life, not demanding things from people, but giving things to people. He isn't making new demands. Instead, he is sacrificing for his subjects. He is becoming a servant to all. And this is a paradigm shift. Usually the king gave resources to people to keep them out of the castle. Here's enough to sustain you out here. And instead, Jesus is inviting you in. He said, I will never cast you out. Come be with me. This is sacrificial. And again, this is so different than many of our earthly leaders and rulers who want to keep you in debt to them and at arm's distance instead of inviting you close. The beauty of Jesus as king in this moment when they, when they wanted to take him and set him on a throne of power, he said, no, that's not what I am here for. Instead, I am here for you and I to sit in your living room. The true power is not from the throne, it's in the relationship and the one-on-one and the connection where you experience a sustainable, supernatural, sacrificial bread of life. Jesus himself is our provision. And I would love to say that everybody in that crowd of 15, 20,000 people were like, yes, yes, yes. But the truth is, it says, as we look through the rest of the chapter, many of them walked away as Jesus began to teach, teach deeper about this. But one, the group who did not, leave and walk away was the 12 disciples. In verse 66, it says, then as after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? But I love what Peter said. He answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter understand that the words of Jesus were more nourishing, more powerful, more sustaining than this miraculous bread that he had provided. And it caused me to ask this question because Jesus, Peter knew there was nothing else to listen to. That the words of God, words of Christ were more powerful than anything. 
And it makes me ask this question, what am I listening intently to for my provision? What is it? What, what am I listening to? What voice do I think this will solve my problem? This will make me happy. This will bring me joy instead of the one where Peter said, your words, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus has the ultimate provision. And quickly, let me close with this. Jesus also provides protection. As we're going to look at this story in Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus had gone out of the city, out of the main area of the Jewish people into a town that was mainly Gentile people, people that had a disconnect from the Jewish nation and even had a bad relationship. And Jesus performs a miracle while he is there where he casts the demon out of two men and sends this group of demons into these pigs and these pigs run over a cliff and, and kill themselves. It's a crazy story. Now these people know that Jesus is a Jewish leader. He's a well-respected, the, the fame of Jesus is out there. And, and what they are seeing is this idea of Jesus expanding his kingdom. Right now, he's not just staying with the Jews. He's coming out to his enemy territory and he's showing his power and basically trying to begin the, the invasion of the Gentile nation. And that's what they, they thought. Like they, they did not welcome him. As, as a matter of fact, in verses uh, Matthew 8, verse 34, it says, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And you think, oh, they're going to be so happy. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Like, please do not take over our area. Do not invade. Uh, stop intimidating. They viewed it as, a, as an intimidation. Fear was the prevailing feeling. I mean, it's almost like Ukraine and Russia today in this moment. Like, what's going to happen? They, they're like, Jesus is, did you hear it? He had like 20,000 people following him for bread. And now he's coming to us. What's he going to do to us? But Jesus was not there to invade or intimidate. What we see in this chapter is that Jesus is there to provide a different form of protection for the people. And he demonstrates this in chapter 9 by doing a couple of things. Jesus' protection, first of all, is a source of pardon. Pardon. In, in verse 9, or chapter 9, we see Jesus move from this area and he starts to demonstrate what he's trying to do. And in verse 9, it says, He got into a boat, crossed over, left that area, came to his own city, and he beheld some people there that brought him a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw the faith, he said to the paralytic, what? Take heart, my son, and what? Walk. No, it's not what he said. It's crazy. He said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. This is a crazy response right here. But what we see eventually in verses 5 and 7, Jesus does heal the paralytic. But what we see here is that Jesus is more concerned about the protection for your eternal nature than just the protection of our temporal bodies. We spend way too much of our thoughts and minds to think, what? I, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to do this. This person's die. Can I tell you one thing that's going to happen to all of us down the road? Everybody in here, we're all going to die at some point. No matter how much we pray about it, no matter how healthy we try to eat, no matter how much exercise we do, no matter how much we try to stay away from COVID or whatever it is, it, it's going to happen. And I don't long for death. I'm not running toward it. Like, I hope it's today, you know. I'm not approaching it that way. But I understand that my protection from God through Christ as King is not of my temporal body, but my eternal soul. And this is the beauty that he is 
He's even demonstrating to the people that he just left. Look, I'm not here to invade and control you. I'm here to heal you, pardon you, to help you step away from the brokenness of sin. Jesus becomes our pardon. But then Jesus' protection is also a source of promotion for us, for our own lives. And right after he heals this guy, he then walks by a tax booth in, in verse 9 and it said, Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at, at a tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, this is not a normal man. This wasn't just a man doing his job. This was a man who was a Jewish man collecting taxes on Jewish people, the lowest of the lowest, disrespected, used by Rome, disrespected by the Jewish people, hated, hated. A man who was an outcast. And Jesus in that moment said, leave that behind and follow me. Follow me. He calls any of us, wherever you are, whatever tax booth you're sitting in, wherever you feel the least, the dirtiest, the farthest from God, the farthest from what you want to be, Jesus steps into that and says, let's go. My protection is not to shame you where you're at until you feel guilty enough to then maybe do something for me. It's to step in and use a simple word, follow me. Did he give any other, did he, did he tell Matthew anything else to do? It simply was to follow him. And I love what the Pharisees did after this. When they saw this, they said to his disciples, why didn't your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when they heard this, they said, when he heard this, Jesus, he said, those of you who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what that means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love, that's just a beautiful verse to hold on to. We don't have to make ourselves self-righteous to be presentable to Christ. His righteousness has been imparted to us and he meets us where we're at and we get to step into simply following him. The last thing we look at today is this protection that Jesus offers is not just for us. It is, it is also a source of proliferation for other people. And he ends this chapter in verses 35 through 38 with what I read earlier, this idea that Jesus continued around to the cities and villages healing because he had compassion on people. He saw their affliction. He, he went to big and small, any kind. He didn't care what the social economic status was. Anywhere that needed him, he went. Any people that, were, that he could get to, he went to. North, south, east, west, whatever political standing, whatever ethnicity, he didn't care. It was for all people. And instead, Jesus is not keeping this message for a select few. He's making it available to all the world. He's calling him, Jesus is calling us forward into something better. And he ends in, in verse 38 saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for laborers into the harvest. And I want you to end with this one thought that, that just reminded me of, of what this is all about, of Jesus as King, this provision and protection that he gives us, is Jesus does not protect us or provide for us in order to hide us, but to demonstrate through us his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his hope. This is to tell his message, to live it, to show it the same as he did, 
to call others to follow when they see that you are follow, you're following him has been meaningful and impactful in your life. As Christ calls you to follow, we get to call others to follow in the footsteps that we're following Jesus. And it makes me ask this question, what am I proliferating in my life to others? What am I demonstrating? Am I demonstrating self-righteousness? Hope in self, hope in others, hope in circumstances? Am I giving, oh, Jesus is king, sure. Yeah, I'll sing those words of that song. But in all honesty, am I proliferating this idea that Jesus is my ultimate provision and protection? That the bread of life, this Jesus is all that I need. And he has got my back and he is calling me forward. So we end this series, it's just this beautiful reminder, this gem that we look at of Jesus, this prophet, this priest, this king, that allows us to remember he has given us his words and will. He has demonstrated that he can be the fulfillment of the law and he is constantly praying for us as priests and he is ultimately the perfect and complete sacrifice for all mankind. And today remembering that he is the provision for the entire world and the protection for every harm that could come our way, both physical and eternal. Where in our life, in your life, in my life, am I not letting Jesus operate in these roles as a prophet for truth, as a priest to intercede on my behalf, or as a king to provide provision and protection? Bow your head and close your eyes with me. As we close today just with a song that reminds us of the ultimate power of this king in our life and in the life of this world, I don't want to play dumb. I don't want to act naive to to say that it is easy to get distracted. It's easy for our life to go in a thousand different ways to step out of these moments here on Sunday morning or in a small group when we focus our hearts and minds and then get caught up in a world that is running a thousand different directions and forget about Jesus. It happens, it happens to me. I know it happens to each of us in our lives. What I wanna challenge you with this morning is a simple moment to build intent into your heart and mind. to intentionally think about Jesus as more than a baby or more than a man hanging on a cross, but intentionally think about him daily as your prophet, as the one who can give you wisdom. Would you intentionally daily think about Jesus as your priest, as the one who is interceding for you, who's praying for you, who understands where you're at. He hasn't left you, he hasn't forgotten you. He is with you. And ultimately, will you intentionally think about Jesus as your king? That there is no other place that you need to go to for provision, and there is no greater for protection for, the, for us for all eternity than Jesus. Don't let those thoughts get lost. Don't let them get choked out by the busyness of our lives. Would you live with intent? We know how to do that. We do it at work. We do it at home. We, we understand the, 
limitations and the resources we have and they determine our decisions. And I just wanna challenge you to remember that you also have Jesus as prophet, priest, and king every day, every day as you walk through this life. God, we're so grateful for these truths that we get to hold on to and get to, to live out of. Not just know, but to live from. And so God, let us live this life, this beautiful life that you have for us. Even in the midst of hardship, circumstances, of, of failures in our own lives and the lives of others, moments of uncertainty that we can't put our hands around, let us never forget the certainty we have of you and the fact that you are a prophet, priest, and king.